0: Hey guys, and welcome to Kaisis, a podcast about living our new life in the new covenant age. Our podcast name comes from two Greek words. Which means new creation. I'm your co host, Osvaldo Valdez, and let me welcome Pastor Todd Bordeaux.
1: Hey, Osvaldo, as we get to this passage, uh, it's been a while, but this was the first passage I assigned you as you were learning how to preach. Remember that?
0: Yeah, I remember. Um, this was, it was difficult. It took me almost like two months to like study and get it ready, uh, but it, it was fun. Uh, it was a really good first passage to preach on.
1: You never forget your first sermon, right? Oh no, I still have it. So, <laughs> well, let's get into it. The uh, passage is about honesty, and we've been looking at these central ethics for the New Covenant Christian that Jesus explains. And so the heart of love instead of lust, the heart of love for the brother instead of hatred. And we looked at last week at marriage, what marriage would look like with two people in his kingdom. And now we look at honesty. And as we think of honesty and dependability, we see how much the Lord values these things because it's the fourth antithesis that describes God's kingdom people. Jesus came to make honest people. Yeah. When you think about it, how many really honest people do you know? People that you are sure that they are what they appear to be. That when they say something, that that's who they are. And when they say they'll do something, it'll get done. Um, My guess is any of our listeners, there are not too many names On that list. What about you? Yeah, no. Uh, (laughs) uh,
0: Yeah, I've I've been in both ends of that, you know.
1: Yeah. So we see the Lord is a dependable and honest God. His word is always dependable. And he came to renew us in his image. And Romans 3.13 describes all people naturally as liars. That's our sin nature. And so God made a promise after the fall that he would send a redeemer to deliver a people for himself and give them new hearts. And so that would reflect his honesty. And that's what Jesus came to do. And so that's why it's here so central in the sermon. Any comments on this fourth antithesis, why it's here in the sermon?
0: Yeah, so... I think what it demonstrates so Jesus has been leading up to kind of providing a a holistic transformation that the kingdom is bringing. We we we've dealt with adultery and it's not just adultery it's it's about lust. It's not just about murder, it's about our our disposition and our attitude towards our neighbors. And and when we finally get to this passage it's it's interesting because Jesus is going to explain to us, you know, it's, it's not just about you telling a, a truthful fact—it's about the disposition and the attitude behind the words that we speak, um, behind the, the truthful fact that we speak. And as we're going to expound a little bit, we're going to we're going to we're going to see how Jesus actually gets to the heart of of what does it mean to be honest, right? Um, and what does it not mean to be honest in in God's
1: kingdom? Yes. So as he does each time, the Lord starts with a contrast. But the old covenant, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And so to guarantee honesty in Israel, the Lord put the Israelites under a system of oaths and vows. We see that throughout the law, especially in the book of Numbers. And when an Israelite took an oath or made a vow, it was accompanied with a curse. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was, um, I swear by this that I will do this, and if not, may something bad happen to me, whatever it is. And so may God do so to me if I don't do what I say I'm going to do. And so an Israelite would make a vow to God or to another person to guarantee that they are telling the truth, that they will do what they say. mm mm-hmm. And of course, we use oaths the same way in our legal system when somebody testifies. Do you swear you're telling the truth? Once you make an oath, you're also putting yourself under a curse in a sense. You're saying, yes. may I, I can be arrested now. Um, I can be held liable to breaking the law if I don't tell the truth. And so that vow pushes us. It forces us to be honest under threat. And so God put Israel under a system of oaths and vows that they would tell the truth. Now, any, can you remember from your sermon any interesting historical points about Israel in this system?
0: Oh yeah. So w- one thing that we should note is that Jesus, right? Is not not? Is he's not saying that oaths are bad or immoral? On the contrary, he's recognizing now, like the origins of 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 oath taking. You could find that in in the law. So he recognizes, yeah, this is this is part of the law, and and, and it's very interesting, pastor, because <laughs> Numbers and Leviticus dedicates a lot of time in in, in regulating oath oath taking. Oaths were part of the priesthood and initiation and and enduring. Um, oaths took place in the marketplace and in in legal settings. I mean, they were honestly part of just every everyday life like like you, you the example you made i mean it's it was li- it, today it's mostly limited to um the le- uh, the, the legal um part of uh, of our society but in in the ancient world i mean it was it was everywhere the marketplace that you're being truthful so you take an oath um the religious life the the political life it was it was everywhere so jesus is actually alluding to a very very common practice that goes beyond the political sphere <laughs>
1: Yes, and the problem with it that Jesus brings up here is that if you're honest from the heart, you don't need oaths because it's hard hearts who tend to lie that need to guarantee their honesty. You know, imagine you're in a good marriage, but your husband says, I'm going out to get some groceries or I'll go on an errand. And you as a wife say, swear to me, that's what you're really doing. Obviously, something's wrong with that marriage if someone has to swear an oath that they're telling the truth, no. because truly honest people do not need to swear to guarantee. And so it's the same idea why we saw last week that the Lord allowed easy divorce in the old covenant. Because of the hardness of their hearts to protect the wives so they have provision, the Lord made an allowance. And so because of the hardness of their hearts, that they were not circumcised in heart, that they were liars, most of them by nature, the Lord had to place them under a system of oaths and vows. But that wasn't the ideal. And so notice how the Lord goes on in our passage. You have heard it said, by the way, just so everybody, I'm sure you're aware, we are in Matthew 5, 33 through 37. You have heard it said. Do not swear falsely, but perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Here in one statement, Jesus does away with the entire system in the Old Testament law of oath-taking. He is saying it is over. It is unnecessary any longer. And so that's a radical comment. That shows that he is not simply clarifying the law or interpreting the law, he is um, annulling the law. He is declaring that section void. Comment on the radicalness of this, of what they would have heard.
0: Yeah, so once again, if if oath-taking was just a regular part of everyday life, in the marketplace, in the religious life of Israel, in the political life of Israel, Jesus must have really big guts to say, you shouldn't do that at all in my kingdom. And, and I think that when we think of kingdom terms, I mean, what Jesus is doing, he, he is, he, he is in, 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 in a very strong sense, actually establishing sovereignty. Like my kingdom is over whatever kingdom you are operating right now. The law was operating uh, in a like like we said, in a temporal, in a temporary sense, in a regulatory sense until my time. The law was pointing to my time. And now that my time has come, my kingdom has come. And my kingdom would not be operated by by oaths and vows. And I mean, that that, that was such a radical statement because they're looking at Jesus, a Nazarene, who is not dressed like a king, who is not dressed like – he's dressed as a nobody, right? He just looks like a teacher. He's just teaching in a mountain. But he is saying, oh, yeah, in my kingdom, we don't do all this that y'all are doing. And that must have shocked the crowd to its core.
1: Yeah, and, and no wonder he said, I did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. He's going to, in his own life and death and resurrection, and the need for vows because he's given a new heart. And so the point of this is now that the Messiah has come to fulfill the prophecy of new hearts, you don't need oaths and vows anymore. Jesus came to redeem you from a sin nature and make you honest from the heart. That's why he will fill you with his Holy Spirit. You'll reflect God's character. And so the reason we don't need oaths is because we don't, we're do not we not motivated to be honest out of a fear of punishment. Hmm. Uh, Christians are honest because the Holy Spirit is making them Christ-like, who is honest. Now, we must see the hyperbole again with no vows, because there are some groups in church history who have taken it literally, and they don't allow any vows for Christians, including... Uh, joining the military, or as we just said, uh, testifying in court where you have to take an oath. And I was reading on the Mennonite Church USA website where they have this statement. We follow the Anabaptist Mennonite tradition, which has usually applied Jesus' words against taking oaths in these ways, in affirming rather than swearing in courts of law and in other legal matters in a commitment to unconditional truth-telling and to keeping one's word, in avoiding membership in oath-bound or secret societies, in refusing to take oaths of allegiance that would conflict with our ultimate allegiance to God through Christ, and in avoiding all profane oaths. Jesus' counsel to tell the truth without oaths and to be true in our relationships applies to family life, business dealings, advertising, and other agreements we make. And so we agree with their fundamental concern, but notice how they apply that to every cultural area and legal area in this life. And so in general, we like what they're saying, but what, what are they doing? They're, they're missing the hyperbole here, aren't they? Yeah. When Jesus says, don't take any oath ever at all, it's like saying, cut your eye out if you lust. He's exaggerating to make the general point that we don't need guarantees for Christians, uh, to be honest. Any thoughts on the Mennonites' position?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because in many ways they capture a lot of the heart of what, of what Jesus is trying to do, right? He wants us to tell the truth without oaths. Now, like the clarification there should be, well, oaths should be synonymous with threat of death. Right, with the threat of judgment. Like we Christians, like you like, like you mentioned before, we don't we shouldn't tell the truth because we we fear the pastor or who we feel or we fear that God is gonna strike us with with a lightning bolt. No. We Christians tell the truth because we love truth, because God is truth. He has taught us something different, he has given us a new heart. And and, and that that's the essence of Jesus' teaching. Um, like you said, and the hyperbole is found in "Do not take any oaths at all." You know that that shock factor, in, in, in that 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 element that shows you how how extreme, how different, how greater uh, Jesus' message is. But if we kind of hyperfocus on the oaths part rather than trying to see the big picture, which is truth telling without threat of death or threat of judgment, then we kind of, like you said, we're missing the point here. Which I think the Mennonite church goes a little bit too far um, in 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 doing.
1: Right. So in verses 34 through 36, the Lord gives four examples of the type of oaths Israels would take to bind themselves. And the reason, and you said it before, that oaths and vows were so ingrained in every area of life for the Old Testament Israelite that they had found all kinds of loopholes in case they don't think that they're going to follow through with their oath. And so instead of swearing by God, they would swear by lesser things. They would swear by the earth. Uh, they would swear by, you know, things below. They would swear by the city of Jerusalem. You see in these examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and in their minds, if someone said, well, you took an oath and you lied, you didn't come through. Well, I didn't actually swear to God. I swore to... Uh, the earth you know i swore to something else yeah and what the lord is saying here is god doesn't recognize those loopholes when you lie you lie and so jesus says do not make an oath to heaven for it is the throne of god and so they thought well i swore by heaven but i didn't swear by god and jesus says well god is in heaven so he heard that vow that's where god lives And the same as when they swore by the earth. God's footstool is the earth. So God was still there when you made a promise. Uh, When you swore by the city of Jerusalem, you swore by the king of that city, which is the Lord. And so he, he heard that also. And the fourth example is the vow some Jews made invoking themselves. I swear by myself. And that's what he means. And do not swear by your head, verse 36, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Jesus says, all those vows that you didn't keep, you made to the Lord. And you were a dishonest people. And that's why one of the reasons judgment is coming on the nation Israel. But he ends up saying, when you, when you make a vow to yourself, You do not have the power to fulfill anything. You do not have the power to make one of your hairs change color, yet you go around promising all kinds of things that you can't even ensure or control. All these are examples of Old Testament vow-taking that needs to end and with the coming of Christ will end. Any thoughts on all their different vows?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny because Jesus is almost like tackling two extremes, right? The extreme that says, or that attempts that, you know, you need, you need threats, you need judgment in order to tell truth. And then the other extreme, which is like, well, truth doesn't really matter, right? Hence the, the loopholes where you're like, well, if truth really matter, you wouldn't find the loopholes, right? To kind of get away over not doing X, Y, Z or telling the truth. But Jesus is tackling, I mean, all from all sides, no, 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 truth matters. You know, whether you, I don't, you don't need threats. And, and 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 judgment, hence the addressing God's name, but also truth matters insofar that you shouldn't be finding loopholes so as not to do what you promised to do or not to tell the truth that you promised to tell. So um, overall, he, he is highlighting that in his kingdom, truth, truth matters, but on different grounds.
1: Yes. So. It's, it's sort of hard for us 2,000 years later to appreciate what we're hearing, because as Christians, we don't swear to tell the truth. We don't make vow We don't really say, I swear to God. We, we know there's something wrong with that. But what were they thinking when they heard this? Pretty radical, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, like like we said, if if it's part of like everyday living, where like going to Walmart <laughs> requires you to take it, like some sort of oath, and the transaction's taking place, and Jesus is saying, don't even do that, you know, then that's gonna shock your everyday Jew. Yeah,
1: yeah. and so Jesus is saying, no more vows. Um, and he, and that's that in itself is so radical. Yeah, and and then he goes on to say. um, what our ethic is in the kingdom of heaven, verse 37. Instead, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. Hmm. That is powerful. Let your word be true. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. In other words, the work of Christ on the cross is so life-changing That if you still need to make oaths to guarantee you're honest, you're still of the devil. Yeah. You're of the evil one. I mean, can you imagine a a Christian who only tells the truth when he knows he'll be punished or caught if he lies? Yeah. Can you imagine a citizen of heaven needing constant threats to simply tell the truth?
0: Hmm.
1: God forgive, forbid. So... That, that is the standard in the new covenant. That our word is, is our bond and, and we can be relied upon and that we are who we say we are in all areas of life. Now we all sin in this area. No one is perfectly dependable, perfectly honest, except Christ. He's the only man that truly was ever perfectly honest. He was a truth teller always, always 100% sincere he was always dependable but the point is that if this is the standard then we should admit when we fall short not that we're under judgment for you know telling a little white lie but that we we confess it and not excuse it because we are to be like Christ and so you know what your wife or your husband asks you to do something and you forget and they say, "Oh, did you bring home so and so like you said?" Oh, I forgot. Well, I forgot. as an excuse. We should say, "You know, I'm sorry, I forgot." We we did say we would do something and we failed. We weren't completely dependable. And we do this at church a lot. We we tell people, "Oh, I'll pray for you," but no. we for, we forget to even pray. We are our. our word was not our bond. We weren't dependable. And so we should confess that to the Lord. Um, You know, I said I would do something and I didn't. That's not what you sent Jesus to do for me, uh, that I would still be like this. And so we don't, don't, you know, kill ourselves over it in, in a spiritual sense, but we admit it. But remember, the best of people will disappoint you Because no one on this earth is perfectly dependable. Um, But God will never disappoint. He never lies. Christ is always dependable. When he tells us he accepts our prayers, he means it. When God tells us in the word that in Christ we are forgiven, he means it. When he speaks of heaven that's waiting for us, if we believe in Christ, he means it and so god never lies and our salvation is based upon him keeping his promise and therefore we are to be like christ that's why god one of the reasons he saved us and gave us his spirit that we are sincere honest and dependable people and it's interesting how in the book of james how james summarizes christian living in 5:12 he writes Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. He's simply summarizing our passage, isn't he?
0: Yeah.
1: And so James is saying, honesty is so important to God, it can summarize Christian ethics. And so anything beyond a simple yes or no This is what I believe. This is what I mean. No politics for God's people in that sense. We say what we mean. Otherwise, if we're living a life of always not being honest, we'll be condemned. In other words, we're demonstrating we're not believers. And so we see the importance of honesty in this passage. Any final thoughts on our passage this morning?
0: Yeah, I I just want to, Kind of provide a quote from from Hillary of Poitiers, um, a, church, a church, a bishop from France in the in the fourth century, and commenting on this specific passage, he actually says something very interesting. He says, "Faith removes the habit of oath taking and establishes the affairs of our lives in the truth." Kind of like 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 we, like you mentioned before, the the work of Christ, his death and resurrection, like that transforming power has changed us so much. That we no longer have to rely on those things, but we chose truth for the sake of of truth, as as James here is trying to capture. And, and I don't know, I really, I really, I really enjoyed that quote because I was like, wow, especially when I was preparing for the sermon, I was like, Yes, that that I, I understand it better now. So I, I think that already our, our audience would appreciate it too.
1: Good. We hope that was helpful. And we'll see that in the next two weeks, the Lord turns the fifth and sixth antithesis to our Relationships out in the world with unbelievers. And we'll, that's probably a little more difficult for modern Christians to accept what he says. This is probably what John Stott meant when he said, this is the most well-known but least practiced. Hmm. <laughs> um, so that, that, that will be fun to unpack. So I hope you join us again next week. Oh, you reach,
0: And high above all of those winds and without love All you burn, broken down All of your trouble come lay um down Come lay um down Come lay um down Come lay down um